What is love? Well, I'm a tactile learner. I have to experience things in my body for me to fully know their meaning. Run it through the gauntlet of my senses. Love to me is that exhilarating flip-flop feeling in your stomach when you're riding a too-fast-glass elevator overlooking an indoor water feature in the lobby of a three-star hotel. Love is the smell of chlorine that stings your eyes and keeps you up at night at a place that bills itself as a luxury property. Love looks like the reflecting swirls of an invisible army of frogs rippling across the surface of a man-made canal choked with lily pads at a pirate-themed restaurant near a water park. I guess what I'm saying is that love to me is like a two-day business trip to Florida. But in case you can't swing an economy ticket to the second largest metropolitan area in our southernmost state, home to a surprising number of death metal bands, well, love can still be found by opening up a portal to a land that ultimately is not that dissimilar from Tampa. This is The Deep Night. Hello and happy almost Valentine's Day. I'm Dale Seaver, and I'm so pleased to be your handsome cherub in a diaper, your arrow-shooting neighbor, and the fellow who hoarded three years' worth of those little candy hearts as soon as he heard that the company that was making them was going out of business. As we sail through this next hour of regrets and revelations, we come to you tonight, as we always do, from the most romantic place on earth, the foul banks of the Gowanus. Oh, to be a young lover going on a stroll on those warm banks. The polar vortex has no command over the toxic humidity that keeps the Gowanus in a jelly state all year round. It's never too cold and never without the risk of a sex disease when you walk along the Gowani. Friends, this is the most loving time of year, and while I've had my issues with love in the past, partly due to my own experiences with grief and not wanting to get too attached to anyone or even a pet, today I am voracious for all affairs of the heart. I'm a Reese's peanut butter schmoo, taking the form of whatever shape you want me to take. Imagine me a soft brown form full of nut butter. That's all it takes, two great flavors sealed together in flavorful bondage. That's what relationships are. But sometimes... If the flavors don't align or someone is uncomfortable in their shape, things can turn, and some real unhappy people turn to murder. And that's why on this special Valentine's Eve edition of the program, we welcome author and fellow podcaster Tori Telfer to the deep night. Tori has written a book all about female serial killers. It's called Lady Killers, and it's out now, and it would be wonderful to read aloud with your loved one as a kind of trust exercise. And if you're feeling a little concerned for your safety in the relationship, here's a fun thing to do at your next Poconos getaway. Read the book together, but before you do, set up a discreet security camera, one that can be hidden in the rafters above the martini glass-shaped jacuzzi or at the foot of your heart-shaped bed. And then while your lover prepares champagne and strawberries dipped in melted cacao, slip off to another room and watch the footage. See how she or he reacts to some of the strategies for offing your spouse. If you see an eye twitch or a flicker of excitement, maybe don't go back in the room. Just gather your My Wife is a Murderer to-go pack and sneak out the bathroom window. At the very least, check your berries for white crunchy powder. Oh, I do hope none of us are married to a serial killer of any persuasion. Trust is so important. Well, let's go now to my discussion with the brilliant Tori Telfer. Tori Telfer, how are you? I'm great. Good. Welcome Happy to the to deep be here. night. This is so exciting. Uh, now, this has been unofficially, because I said it twice now, the, the year of the woman on mm. Deep Night with Dale. And you're a woman. What's that like? You know, I enjoy being a woman. Uh, I don't like the constant threat of serial killers jumping out of the bushes to drag me away, yes. which I think every woman is born with a sense that that might happen. But there's a lot about being a woman I love, and I'm happy to be in the year of the woman. Oh, good. It's about time. <laughs> good. Well, I'm happy. I did drag a couple times, but I don't think that really gives you the sense. 
you know, it's a start, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> you have to walk a mile in those yes. uh, high heels or flats or whatever. And But do you think, I mean, people jumping out at you, that might be given your research and your 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 subject matter of your book and all that kind of thing. I mean, you're maybe more tuned into serial killers than other people. Do you think? I think I am more tuned into the idea of serial killers, what makes them tick, maybe. I don't, I think I'm less afraid than your average true crime reader because I know the statistics. Yeah. So I do know that it's very unlikely they're going to jump out of the bushes at me. Um, so in a way, I'm very, I'm very calm. My research has calmed me down. Yes. <laughs> given me hope. <laughs> and, and if you live in the city, not as many bushes as there once were. Not very many bushes. This winter, the bushes don't have leaves. That's so right. Good time nice to walk try, around. Nice try, serial killers. Yeah. Great time to walk around. By the way, you're wearing a lovely turtleneck. I always like to see that. Generally, I'm in a turtleneck. Today, okay. I put on a sweater. But mm. boy, that's a, it's always a solid choice. Thank you. I As I put it on, it's a black turtleneck. Yes. And I didn't want you to think I was trying to be Steve Jobs. Yeah. No. So I'd just like to go on the record. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I always take that as very, someone who's very in tune. Okay. In so tune it, with. It was a good choice. Um, but we've had a great many writers uh, on this season. We've had uh, Aaron Gibson, who wrote Feminasty. We had Carrie Whitmer on, one of the authors of New Erotica for Feminists. And your book, Lady Killers, Deadly Women Throughout History. It's kind of a feminist take on serial killers, isn't it? <laughs> it is, in that it's about a, let's say, it's about a career choice some people make, and I'm highlighting the women in that career path. That's right, because uh, you see that misogyny uh, may have played a part over the years in the visibility or invisibility of women as serial killers. Yes, absolutely. And it's not always just blatant raving misogyny. Sometimes it's sort of this, um, an academic called it cultural amnesia, and I love that term, but I don't want to take credit for it. It's just kind of society's sense that women aren't as much of a threat, um, which is, again, statistically pretty true if you look at who murders who. Mm -hmm. It's mostly men. Um, but because there's this idea that women aren't that scary, I think that's why a lot of these women end up forgotten. Yes, and and some of them quite, uh, quite, quite scary. Quite scary. <laughs> High body counts. <laughs> yeah. I you think know, that's, uh, well, one of the things you notice. And uh, well, I know you do a few different things, and maybe we'll talk about them, not just the book, mm -hmm. um, but the podcast and that. But I wondered, how does one get started down the path of being, you know, intrigued by these dastardly broads uh, with a mind for murder? <laughs> That was a that should have been my book subtitle. <laughs> that was great. Um, I stumbled into it a little bit, but I so backing up, I used to want to be a fiction writer. Yeah. And when I look back on my fiction, I never liked horror movies. I never liked um, scary things as a kid. So I wasn't someone who grew up on you know reading about Jeffrey Dahmer or whatever. Right. But I, looking back at my fiction, I did always write about a serial killer here, a ghost there, a mother who killed her kid there. You know, I was clearly into dark things. I got specifically into serial killers when I was about 25 and trying to be a freelance writer, had just dropped out of grad school, was just like, I am so tired of, I just want someone to pay me to write. That was <laughs> all I wanted, you know, is that simple. I was so tired of like, you have to do this before you can be a writer, and also you have to be a teacher and write on the side. So anyway, I pitched a column to this website about female serial killers because they were looking for columns, and I had just discovered Elizabeth Bathory on Wikipedia. Mm. Um, and she's very scary, but also maybe was framed. So I was like, wow, this is interesting on a lot of levels. Ser female serial killers is going to be my column. <laughs> and so it's not really that romantic of a story, but that's how the book came about. And, and am I correct in that you also uh, had a career in children's literature? Oh, yes. Seems my, like the good. My dark side. <laughs> That's even darker. I, <laughs> Seems like a natural first step when you're right. going to start writing about vampiric torturers. Right. Yeah. Well, I will say, I worked in children's publishing as an as a editor. You would be surprised how many weird people submit story or maybe you wouldn't be surprised i'm not surprised you wouldn't be you know <laughs> how the world surprised. works yep i've been out there yeah <laughs> so it's not as i had a whole folder marked creepers oh, which yeah. is just poems about you know inchworms yeah oh that was the one <laughs> say no more <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. yeah keep that deep in the in the file folders there <laughs> in the bins um <laughs> 
Uh, well, we also share something in common in that we we both uh, love catering. Oh, my, you love catering? I love catering. Uh, in that I started out doing that, you know, before showbiz and all this. Uh, uh, I had uh, just a little too much fun at some of those events, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, because it's a party. and right. But you're not invited. <laughs> but you <laughs> but you are. And at a certain point, the revelers uh, get a little, you know, tipsy. And you're at and a wedding. And then you're invited. And then you're having kind fun. Of. The music is going. Yes. Why not? Yeah. And you get a little freebies, some goodies. I still have a hammer from a construction event. Wow. You know, they give away stuff at That's those things. That's incredible. If you wait long enough, the organizers are very happy, a little bit drunk. You get stuff. Oh, absolutely. I've been given bottles of wine. <laughs> yes. Of course, you take an appetizer or two. Oh, you have uh, to yeah. know you what go. you're serving yeah. as you go. <laughs> There's a lot of grazing of the cream puffs, <laughs> oh, <yes. laughs> let's say. Oh, yes. Especially when you bring back that one tray that only has three or four left. What are you going to do? What are you going to do with Put those it things? down and walk away? No, no. Just no. take a moment take for yourself. Cream. Take them That's what catering is truly all about. <laughs> it should be. <laughs> I always had fun, though. What do you like about it? You know, I like what you mentioned. It's yeah. kind of weirdly social. Yeah. I have always felt more comfortable being the help than the fancy person. It's just, to me, it's a little more cool and liberating. You're like, you're there, but you're also not in a constricting dress and sort of sipping wine with your pinky up or whatever. Yep. Which is prob- probably goes to some deep-seated class anxiety I have or whatever, <laughs> but we don't have to get into that. No, that's um, fine. I like that you get paid. It seems like you would also a be lot. a keen observer of human uh, interaction yes. and character, which you can certainly do as you're well, slinking you. through uh, with a tray full of champagne or something. You yes. don't have to engage in all the conversations, but you can... You know, listen in. Absolutely. Well, it was catering an event in L.A. that was at a fancy car museum that I realized by spying on people that this is so cliche, but money does not make people happy. It was the most (laughs) miserable group of people in the world. I had to keep them out of the dining room before because supper wasn't ready. And billionaires don't like being told they can't come into the dining room. No. And just seeing these, like, frozen, miserable faces, and I hate to be mean, but it was a big moment for me. It was like, oh, I don't want to be them. I sort of feel sorry for them. I kind of like that I'm the caterer. Right. right. So it was formative. <laughs> liberating. <laughs> liberating, that's yeah, a great within word. within your station. A little yes. bit, you know, to say, oh, this is, I'm oak, I'm happy in my own way. Yeah. I don't have to be miserable in that way. Right. Or I don't have to strive to be the person who gets invited to the, the Mercedes Benz party or whatever. <laughs> right. I don't and know. The Peterson Museum, which one was it? I Nethercut? Peterson Museum sounds yeah, right. Yeah, that one is on that Wilshire. The car mu- yes. Yeah. Now it's With- real, real ugly. Yes. I'll say it. I th- <laughs> they redid brave. it. They redid it, and it looks just hideous. I think that was, pro- I've probably seen it since Across the Across from LACMA. Yes. Yes. I was there yeah. with the canapes. Yeah. No, that's not. You know who I saw there? Sia. Really? Yeah. Very early concert by her. Oh, wow. How about that? Incredible. <laughs> who cares? I can't believe she was at a car museum. <laughs> exactly. Wow. Exactly. That car museum. And uh, they have one of the early electric cars there, too. Oh, wow. You know yeah. more than I do about this place. Uh-huh. But did you grow up out there, California? No, no, no. I just lived out there for two years, half-heartedly trying to be a screenwriter. But I actually wrote my book out there, so oh. I, I really like L.A. I tell you, that's a great place to write a book about that. Yeah. I mean, I once uh, had interacted with uh, James Elroy to oh. talk about people that like the, the, the uh, dark yeah. stuff. And he's from that. I mean, he's born of it, right? Yeah, yeah. What is he like? The do- he's like the son of the Black Dahlia. <laughs> is that true? <laughs> Something. <laughs> Does he claim that? <laughs> I don't know. There's say some real connection to wow. that. Wow. It's a little bit, uh, yeah. Okay. It's a, it can be a dark place, though. L.A. Absolutely. Yes. I yeah. love the contrast between the bougainvillea and the noir. Yeah, and you get places like the Source family and everything going up there. Yes, yes, and, uh, yes. Manson and all that. But anyhow. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, <laughs> so I like I like that. I like that idea. Um, where did you grow up? You didn't answer that. I My family moved a lot. I was born in Boston. Okay. I won't walk you through it. But okay. I spent about um, the longest period of my life in Chicago and in the Chicago. Chicago suburbs. I went to school out there, worked in children's publishing out there. <laughs> I feel like any city you're going to name, you can find a good serial killer. Oh, yes. Chicago. Chicago. John Wayne Gacy. Yeah. Is that who you were thinking? Oh, I was H. thinking H. of the, uh, the, the one with the um, 
uh, World's Fair. H. H. Holmes. That's who it was. Yes. With the, uh, the building the with the secret murder corridors. Murder castle yeah. or murder hotel. Yeah. Murder hotel. Yeah. During the expo. What was it? The Devil in the White City. Yes. Yeah. Amazing book. Amazing book. Well, let's get back to your book. Though. All right. <laughs> okay. So uh, you write it out there in L.A.? Yes. Wrote it out in L.A. Yeah. How many women are profiled in this book? So 14 chapters. Yeah. But one chapter is about a pair of sisters, and then one chapter is about an entire village of Hungarian grandmas who had just had enough. So, you know, <laughs> there's you could say there's like 30-ish women in there or whatever. Yeah. It's a, I would say it's an enjoyable read, but also, like you said in the beginning, I'm not drawn to horror and, mm-hmm. and gore. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, boy, you start out right out of the gate with some tough stuff to get through. And uh, But, but it, it, is a, it is a wonderful read because you get a little bit of sense of uh, history's perspective on them mm. and a kind of modern take on what was going on for them. You sympathize with some of them, right. not all of them. Right. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> But uh, uh, some of the ones from the earlier times where I imagine legend has taken root yes, a little bit. absolutely. Uh, really uh, horrific. Yeah, well, the first chapter, you know, my mom thinks that shouldn't have been the first chapter because it it, it sounds like what you're saying, and I agree, is it, it it's bloodier than the rest of the book. Yeah, that's Erzabet. Erzabet Bathory, yeah. yeah, Hungarian countess, 1500s. Seems like she would be very popular among the Hot Topic crew. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There, are, there are goth girls today who say that they are Erzabet or, you know, that they channel her, that they feel her presence. Yes. Yeah, she. Well, I mean, because her legend is like sexy goth chick that bathed in blood, um, who, who, which isn't who true. doesn't like that. <laughs> who doesn't? Oh, <laughs> they're right. saying who doesn't bathe in blood. <laughs> well, that too. I mean, you got to look good, right? In this world, <laughs> I tried anti-aging cream, but no, give me no. that blood bath. Yes. yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, to your mother's point, at least it, it kind of is a relief the rest of the... <laughs> oh, that's a good way of looking at it. I yeah, mean, you get it out of the way. You get right. the, what does she do, the uh, biting a cheek and tearing it off. You get that out of the way. Yes, yes, and the splitting okay. of the person. I mm. mean, there's a there's a lot there. Uh, yes. But uh, she was an act, she existed and uh, did something. What yeah. do you think it was all was it a hoax or, or, or a legend or no? I don't think she definitely existed. Yeah. I don't think she was totally innocent. I think it's sort of tempting to uh, both ways are tempting. It's tempting to do a kind of a revisionist thing and be like, "Oh, she was totally framed because uh people were afraid threatened by her powerful womanhood." Yes. And then it's also tempting to be like, "She killed 600 girls" because that's a good story. Um I think that she definitely, I love how you said it, something happened, or whatever you said. She, she existed and something weird happened. Yeah. And one of the most, comp- there are many reasons to think that something happened, but uh, something that compels me the most, and I learned it after I wrote the book, of course, is that if people had wanted to frame her, why didn't they just say she was a witch? Because yeah. that was what you did. You want to execute a woman, you just call her a witch. That was in vogue at the time. That was so trendy. Yeah. But <laughs> they basically, I mean, they didn't have the phrase serial killer, but they basically accused her of being a serial killer. That's what? Like that sort of, why would you make that up? That's a much harder and stranger accusation yes. in the 1500s. So that that resonated with me. And that was like, yeah, people knew something bad was happening. I don't think she killed even 100 girls. Um the numbers are so overblown, but I think she she did something because yeah. it wasn't weird to torture your servants, and I think you know everyone was doing it. Um, <laughs> so that sounded glib, but seriously, yeah, it's right. like yes, everyone was doing it. I think she pushed it too far. Whether she pushed it too far five times or sixty times, I don't think we'll ever know. But yeah, that's my take. Well, even at six, fifteen, whatever it was, right. you you murder one person, okay? Yeah. That's, bad. that's that's pretty bad. Pretty I mean, bad. That, that's already a, a not a good mark. Right. And if that is a threat or even something that does happen once, twice, three, four times and the village is scared, yeah. well, it might as well be 600 yeah. uh, because it's uh, uh, terrifying. Right. And she used that, no doubt, right. to uh, we see even today. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You don't know where everybody's going. Well, how'd you miss them? And, you know, yeah, yeah. not to get political, but, no. you know, if you, you, no, you're totally right. If we have a 
government that's supposed to be looking after people. And then suddenly, you had, oh, well, actually, the number's more like 20,000. <laughs> well, oh, isn't that just oh, horrifying? Okay. Yeah. That doesn't, that doesn't sound good. Yeah. If you have one kid, you'd be upset. Mm. Anyhow, yeah. uh, you can see how things can also uh, either be uh, hidden or could uh, be magnified by a scared populace. Right, absolutely. And maybe there could be a little of both at the same time, and too. And maybe somebody's using that to their advantage. Yep. We don't know. We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, part of, uh, part of there's a, I gather there's some kind of documentary now about like Ted Bundy or one of these guys. Oh, yes. And the big debate is that he's so handsome and yes. people are like being attracted to him. Yes. I guess. I, don't, oh, uh, I mean, people were falling in love with Charlie Manson in prison, too. Mm-hmm. So, But what what part does that play in it? I mean, this kind of like I'm attracted to them mm-hmm. as a serial killer. There's like a sexy part of this fuels a lot of the story is what I'm trying to yes, say. Yes, yes. And I, I've looked into that. It is mostly – uh, women lusting after male serial killers. I was trying so hard to find examples, you know, of people lusting after women serial killers. Not so much. But it's there's a word for it. It's called hebristophilia. Hebristophilia. Yes. Um, and it's that sexual attraction to someone who's committed atrocities, basically. Yeah. And, and that's different from just, you know, Oh, I think Ted Bundy is cute, but I hate what he did. Hebristophilia is like, I am going to write him a letter and tell him I need him. And some of the letters he got were so serial killery almost. There was one that was like, there isn't anything I wouldn't let you do. It's like, we don't need to be saying that to Ted Bundy. But anyway, I think it's um, kind of sad. It's it's women who... who, they like the, they're attracted to the power and the danger. Okay, we can get that. But I think there's also they like that the man is presumably locked up, so he's sort of like theirs forever because he can't go anywhere. So it's kind of a very sad urge. Yeah. Um, and then of course you're you, you're either in denial about his crimes. I think uh, Richard Ramirez married someone in prison, and I think she was totally in denial that he had done anything. Or you justify it, or a lot of these women think, um, "Oh, they're so misunderstood." Anyway, it's there's kind of a messy. lot of "I can fix it" impulses. Yes, that that I mean, too. Broadly, that true. <laughs> there are in society, whatever that thing is about, um, that I'm going to stay with this person and change them. I they were they just looking me. for me. Yes, yeah. yes. So in I'm a way, it's and it's ironic because that's pretty narcissistic. And who is more narcissistic than a serial killer? You know, it's <laughs> right. Well. <laughs> Maybe the president, but well, <laughs> ah, ah, but not to get political. Um, but, the, but then it's interesting that there are not, uh, you know, hordes of men writing letters about these uh, fellows, yeah. but they are writing books about the about the uh, some of these serial killers, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they they push the legend forward in some way. Mm-hmm. I have to think that most of that was monks and people. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, historians, whoever was in charge of putting the history down. Yeah. Or were these stories never told? Oh, you mean writing about the women in my book? Um, well, I mean with the sex piece of it, this, like, attraction thing. We're saying that there aren't men that are, you know, lusting after these uh, ladies who are right. serial killers as much as, as much. the as the other way around. But they're certainly pushing the this legend of Urzabet kept going for some reason. Yes. Somebody was intrigued enough to sell some books or Yes, and it was picture. a monk. It was a monk in the, I think, 1720 or 1724. He discovered her trial transcripts. And so he wrote a book about her called, like, Tragical History or something. And he put in the bloodbath legend, which has, you know, taken taken, – it's deep-rooted today. Um, I don't know what he was thinking. And, you know, maybe he was getting a little – sexual mm-hmm. satisfaction mm-hmm. from that mm-hmm. um but yeah there so so his book led to other books there are a lot of ridiculous books about her and a really good book called infamous lady that um this woman went back the writer went back and looked at the actual trial transcripts and translated a lot of things anyway so yeah i think uh Urzabet is a rare a rarer example of a female serial killer that did and does titillate people more. And I think that's because her crimes are very gothic. Yeah. You know, um, blood spattered on the floor and blah, blah, blah. And the legend is that she was very, very beautiful. I mean, it's not a legend. She was considered very beautiful. Yeah. So 
I think that's why people get kind of like, ooh, I assume she was wearing a corset, you know? <laughs> right. That's sort of the aesthetic. Let me her. weirdly draw that or paint that or pose in that with some <laughs> oh, Photoshop yes. effects or something. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> and uh, what, uh, how about uh, Marianne Cotton? She's uh-huh. another one. I don't know if she was a great beauty or not, but she certainly, she liked getting pregnant. Yes. Not so much the follow through. Yes, exactly. She was described as as a pretty young woman by neighbors who knew her. Um, she definitely had some magnetism over men, as you'll see a lot of these women do, even if the press is like, they were hideous. There's a lot of magnetism going on because a lot of these women had many, many husbands. Yeah. Marianne Cotton killed, you know, a couple decades before Jack the Ripper, and she was she had this cycle of you know, getting pregnant, which would then get her to the altar, which would she would then kill the baby and any other children that were around, stepchildren, whatever, and usually get a new lover and then kill the husband and then get pregnant by the new lover and so on and so forth. And then she did this, what, four or five times or something? Right. You know, her her body count is very high. I think it's arguably 11 to 18, many of them children. Yeah. So, um, yeah, she was definitely someone who it, it's hard to say what exactly she wanted. I personally think she was sort of lost in her own. I don't know if she could have articulated what she wanted because she was just doing the same thing over and over and over again. Right. You know, it's like, Marianne, I don't think you do want to be married. I don't think you do want to have kids because every time you make that happen for you, you then destroy it. Yeah. So she's interesting. Yeah. And to, to put it very <laughs> blandly, she's pretty interesting. Well, uh, I think reading her story and reading, uh, oh, who was the the one that was a kind of wild uh, woman that uh, moved in with the family and then uh, uh, Ooh, she poisoner. she also had some problems with the uh, hold on, hold on. I should. She know. was institutionalized. Oh, Lizzie Halliday. Lizzie Halliday. Yes. There you are. Oh, she's one of my. Yeah, and and where that was upstate. Where was that? Yeah, upstate New York, Pennsylvania area. Yes, yes. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But what role does like actual serious mental illness play Mm. within this? Because she seemed to be one that was quite off clinically from from the beginning. Yes, and should have just had some help. Yes, absolutely. I think. um, Well, it's hard for me to say. Since a lot of these cases are so old, I yes. didn't want to diagnose right. explicitly. So it's hard for me. But Lizzie Halliday, yes. I mean, she obviously had something diagnosable. Can we say that? Um, because she and she was very erratic. Her violence was really erratic. A lot of these other women, like Marianne Cotton, there's more planning. They're sort of more steady in a way like they always poison the husband or whatever lizzie halliday was a real exception because every time she murdered it was she did it differently that's rare even in male serial killers you know people have they have their way they like to kill lizzie halliday might shoot you she might burn down your house with you locked in the bedroom and she might uh, stab you with scissors in the heart. You just never knew. <laughs> right. So wild card. A wild Our card. Lizzie. Our Lizzie was <laughs> quite the wild card. So I think that and and the fact that when she was caught, she would you know scream and tear at her clothes and stuff. All that points to mental serious mental illness, probably treatable today. Right. But the thing that makes Lizzie fascinating is that you I don't think you can just say, oh, she was insane because she kind of did know what she was doing. She was crafty. That's what people kept saying about her. Mm-hmm. There was a knowing look in her eyes. And I am pretty positive at some points she was she was acting, not when she was murdering, but when she was in jail, because people would say that if she saw you looking in uh, into her prison room or whatever you know then she would be tearing at her clothes and babbling and and saying the number 13 over and over again but if she didn't think anyone was there she would be sitting on her bed quietly so and that doesn't mean she wasn't mentally ill but that to me shows she was um she she knew sort of what mental illness was and what it looked like and that it could get her uh get her out of the electric chair and 
She knew how like to that. get a reaction from people. She knew how to get a reaction. Sure. And yeah. the reaction that she probably wanted. Yes. Depending on what the situation yes. was. Yes. So she had some control over her own image. Yeah. Which is interesting. What is it about that impulse, though, to even take a life? Oh, that's a great question. I was walking in the, out of the subway the other day, and I crossed the street, uh-huh. and uh, a dead pigeon was on the ground. Oh. And it, I felt it in such an intense way. Sadness mm-hmm. overcame me. I, I, oh. I mean, it's just a pigeon. Right. I, you know, it would be the same if you, see, if you see a rat or something. But just to see it and then dead... I, I had like a vibration off yeah. the thing and felt a wave of sadness. Yeah. And I feel that every time I have to get away from it. Mm. The thought of doing, I mean, that's just something. I mean, it got hit by a car or whatever. I don't know how it, it right. died. I can't imagine. That's I can't imagine the whole other thing. <laughs> that's good. That's good. I think that's it's okay, great. right? I'll be I'm all right. happy that you feel that way. <laughs> <laughs> Let's clear that up. I'm not capable of taking a life. I just but, couldn't do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, what is it about the impulse? Um well, I think some people are born without that empathy chip. Yeah. And then it's like, is it how is that even their fault? You know, we can get into all of that or we don't have to. <laughs> um, but I think well, this doesn't really answer your question, but I do think, you know, I've heard the difference between taking zero lives and taking one life is huge. Yeah. The difference between taking one life and taking two lives is less of it is shorter, you know? So um, I think that's why it is possible to be a serial killer because, I mean, as someone who's, I hope to never know this, <laughs> I've never taken a life either, <laughs> but <laughs> I presume once you, I, I presume if you're kind of a bad person, you do it and then you're like, that actually wasn't so hard or whatever. I My world hasn't crumbled. And then you realize, yeah. oh, I benefited in this way or I got this rush. And then you do it again. Um but most of us are never going to be able to cross that first threshold. It's just the 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 gap is too wide. And, yeah. you know, thank God for that. <laughs> I don't want that yes. gap to be shortened. <laughs> that's right. They say that's true in creating life, too, that the second one or the third one is really? easier. That's why you get a family with six kids. Yeah, oh, maybe. who cares? So maybe it works both ways. <laughs> it does. <laughs> I don't know. But now let let me just put this out there. Hypothetically. Let's say you're in a relatively new marriage. Okay. Now, you know, maybe you don't have 100% confidence in, in, in your partner. Let's say it's a woman. A- mm-hmm. And maybe she's not being on the level in a couple of different things. Maybe she's a great energy healer, let's just say. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe you don't believe that that's a thing, but you hear from people that she's helped them. Uh, what are some warning signs that uh, one might look out for if uh, you suspect your uh, 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 wife is maybe not on the level? Mm-hmm. I think you could, one, one could look out for, is she frequently serving you cups of tea when you don't really need them? Yeah. You know, is is she trying to get liquids in you? <laughs> right. Is she constantly, oh, you look, you look tired, you should lay down, I'll fix you a drink. Oh, yeah. yeah. And does that sort of come out of nowhere? Right. You know, it, was she not the type to make you a whiskey soda in the past, but now she's all about making a whiskey soda? Right. Um, do you ever come into the kitchen and she's stirring something really vigorously into it and you hear that spoon just going ding, 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 you know? Right, right. As though she's trying to get something to dissolve. <laughs> right, that would be a good thing. Now, what if she buys you a, like a beehive, uh, you know, as like you're going to start okay. uh, making some bee products okay. or honey products, but doesn't give you the soup? <laughs> oh, that is I'd be worried. That I mean, is in a hypothetical cruel. situation. Hypothetically, <laughs> you should run. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, what if, uh, again, she's uh, obsessed with essential oils, other mm-hmm. compounds designed for healing. Okay. And there's a lot of mixing, a lot of diffusing. Okay. You think I should be con- somebody should be concerned about I that? I don't think one should necessarily be concerned if it's just, you know, a little lavender here, a little peppermint there. Yeah. If she's getting into the frankincense and the myrrh. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> you know what? Be confused if she's doing that thing, which people really do, where she's like, t- put three drops of this on your stomach and it'll cure your kidney cancer. Yeah. You know, if it's sort of that that type of place, a drop of this oil on your outside skin. Yes. And deep inside your body, the tumor will shrink. <laughs> be, be a little careful. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I do have... Uh, or, or one could have doubts. Uh, um, 
you know, when sometimes mm. there's like, put a little drop of this in your Pellegrino. Oh, okay. You know? Sometimes right. it's vanilla. Sometimes it's nice, but you you got to be careful. Is what you're saying. You got to be careful. Yeah. Yes. And and note how you feel after the Pellegrino. Uh, certainly to keep a journal at hand. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you like sparkling water or still? I like sparkling water unless yeah. I'm really thirsty. Then yeah. I want still. I think you can tell a lot about a person from that. So you passed. Was, oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, those are all good things to look out for. Thank you. Do you're you get welcome. into that? Do you buy into that? Crystals, healing oils. Um. I don't not. I, I I don't. I haven't experienced anything myself that's like whoa. I believe. Yeah. But I am someone who t- tends more towards belief than cynicism in many many things. So yeah. I I don't mean I don't. Um, I only get cynical when I it seems to be like that this person is endangering someone's life with bad medical advice because I've seen that happen and it makes me mad. But in terms of have a rose quartz and rub it and your heart opens. Maybe. Sure. Who am I to say that doesn't work? Yeah. Also, the placebo effect is so strong, and I really like it. So it's like, (laughs) don't quite, you know, if it's working for you, don't question it. That's what I say. (laughs) Well, now, Tori, with Valentine's Day Mm. upon us, the lover season. Yes. The main reason I go to CVS. Okay. (laughs) And the good news is you can go in December, and they're already ready for Valentine's Day. But uh, love is in the air, perhaps uh, murder also in the air. Um, do you have some tales of women maybe like Tilly Klimek? Is that how you say her name? Oh, yeah, Tilly Klimek. Uh, maybe she used love to advance her murderous uh, uh, goals. She did indeed. Tilly was all about the husband getting or the insurance money, you know, same difference. Husband getting, getting a husband. Getting, and then yeah, murdering. husband getting. Yeah. Right. <laughs> okay. And then yeah. the insurance getting. <laughs> Tilly uh, was, let me think about Tilly. You know, I, I... I'm not going to remember the names of all her husbands because there are so many husbands in this. <laughs> if I don't have the book in front of me, but the funniest thing that I think Tilly did was, okay, so she killed her first husband, and then I believe she she poisoned her first husband, and then her second, I believe, and then she got herself a lover, and with the insurance money from her previous marriages, she took her lover on a romantic trip to Milwaukee. Tilly and let me and tell her, you something. Have you whew. been to Milwaukee? I'm fanning myself. <laughs> I have <laughs> been know. to Milwaukee. Wow, yeah. Cream City. Oh. Right? Isn't that what they call it? <laughs> yes. I think on of... account of the color of the bricks oh, that I didn't they use know for that. that. Anyhow. I think of it as uh, the city where Jeffrey Dahmer maybe fed his neighbor a sandwich with human meat in it. Okay. <laughs> or also, that. <laughs> Whatever they want to put on the billboard. Also good PR <laughs> yeah. for the city. Um, <laughs> yeah. So... so romantic getaway. See, that would have been my tip-off. You want to go where? The same. <laughs> right. I don't think so. Right. But this was, you know, you're in Chicago in the 1920s. Who are we to say Milwaukee wasn't an alluring oh, I, I think we northern? Can safely, <laughs> I think we can safely bet that's not a getaway. There's ulterior motives going on. Reveals her psychopathy with the Milwaukee trip. Yes. She's expecting a proposal. I mean, uh-huh. you take a man to Milwaukee. What That means There better be thing. a ring. There better be a ring at the end of Cream City. So she doesn't get a proposal. She doesn't get one. She doesn't get one. She doesn't get one. As they are uh, going back to Chicago, Tilly starts sort of dropping hints that she would like a ring. And when that doesn't work, she turns to threats. And she tells her lover, I believe his name was Joseph Gazowski. She says, um, you know, I have killed husbands before and I will not hesitate to do it again, basically, if you don't propose. But she didn't really think this through because Joseph uh, – <laughs> wait, no, I'm sorry. I'm mixing things up. Joseph did die, didn't he? Didn't they all die? Did Joseph die or go to the police? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm so sorry. I it's mean, been a long th- time. Would that be something that is not a deterrent, though? Exactly. I mean, I've killed my husbands before. Why would I want to <laughs> No, now I husband? remember. Yeah, yeah, it was a deterrent, and Joseph threatened to go to the police – Tilly, I believe, realizing what she had done, poisoned him. Yeah. Never got the ring. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And then she continued to do it. She got. Uh, she had another husband, Frank. You know, and um, I mean, love is love is difficult. She saw Frank flirting with a neighbor. She had to poison the neighbor too. You have to. You know, uh, she uh, as she was poisoning Frank as he was near death, she saw a coffin for sale. It was a steal. So she got that ahead of time, which yeah. made people a little suspicious. But it, it, the fates are fickle. <laughs> <laughs> and it can liven up any home. 
Right. To have a nice coffin around. Right. A coffin sure. can be used as a sideboard, a TV yeah. stand. Sure. Yeah. A bed. <laughs> Believe me. <laughs> Who doesn't have a coffin? <laughs> Who doesn't enjoy a nice coffin around the home uh, for entertaining? Yes, it yeah. does. Uh, and, and so then what? Then so did you put him in the coffin? She put him in the coffin. He did pass away. <laughs> oh. She put him in the coffin. I don't mean to laugh. It's just, I know. You know. It, it's just like, oh, Tilly. Yes. Um, no, it really is. If you were removed from it now, you know, it was yeah. in the 20s. We sort of look back on it. it. It does feel a little bit arsenic and old lacy, although it would have been very terrifying. Um, Frank dies and then... At Frank's funeral, Tilly meets Joseph Klimek, who is a, a you know a shy bachelor. Eventually, they start dating. They get married, and Joseph thinks Tilly is the best wife. He knows she's had some, shall we say, boy problems in the past, but he thinks she's reformed. And Tilly starts poisoning him. And thankfully, uh, his brother is suspicious because he was clearly uh, the symptoms that his that he had were so arsenic you know it was like arsenic 101 his breath smelled like garlic and his uh, he was getting very stiff his limbs were getting very stiff Mm -hmm. so thankfully his brother intervened joseph was taken to the hospital tilly was taken away by the cops and as she was being taken away she turned to the cop next to her and said the next one i want to cook a meal for is you you made all my trouble the cop was like okay ma'am i'm gonna need you (laughs) i'm gonna need you to just sit there that's the way to go out, though. You got to have a good line. To oh, go you out have on to have a good too. exit line. Now, um, did, did that brings up the question: Were there any surviving relatives of any of these people that ever got in touch with you? Oh, I mean, do people exist from this, uh, from any of these unhappy unions, or were they all um, done? I haven't. Everyone immediately connected to these crimes is was either murdered or you know has passed away because of the passage of time so no no one's ever gotten in touch with me i actually purposefully kept the crimes vintage um the last woman operated in the 1950s because even though there have been plenty of serial killers since i didn't for this particular book i didn't want to get into you know, having surviving relatives. Um, I'm sure there are distant, you know, now great-grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren. But I just didn't want to make anyone uncomfortable, you know, because there are moms now in a book or whatever. Um, Right. And I just, yeah, I wanted, and I didn't want to depress my readers (laughs) too much, you know, because for better or for worse, the passage of time takes away some of the horror and the sting, I would say. Yeah. Um, like, Like reading the news right now, you know, so depressing, right? Reading, say, the crime, even just the local crime section of a paper is like, oh, that happened right here. That just happened. Right. That mother just lost her son. Reading about crimes in the 1920s, the 1850s, the 1200s, that it doesn't have that immediate sting. I think it's we should still be empathetic and remember these are real people. But it's not that feeling of like this happened in my world. This is a problem right now. Do you know what I mean? I do. So, yeah. So, so yeah. So, no family members have gotten in touch with me. Uh, they're welcome to, but I don't. Think. Right. There's been some time. Yeah. Um. Uh. And and what what's the what's the best meal do you think to put the arsenic in? Oh. Because arsenic figures into almost all of these. Yes. Most well, <laughs> I it's mean, a, a lot of them. Yeah. Are, it's a sad cliche. The more modern, uh, you know, 1800s through the 50s yes, or something like that. The arsenic era or whatever. Yes. Um. I think arsenic arsenic is very easy to sneak into food. It seems to dissolve well in liquid, so I think, you know, a cup of coffee. Um, and I don't want to give anybody a recipe. No. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I, just wanna, I just want to know what to look out for. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> or for people that might be concerned. I well, mean, usually into a soup or a hot liquid, something A hot like liquid, that. yeah, yeah, or, yeah. A, or a drink of some sort. Um, and may, does cup- it smell? Well, no, no. Yeah. It, but but the things that victims in my book did complain of were a gritty aftertaste. Gritty. I yeah. know. Yep. And then for at least one killer, her some of her victims noticed white uh, sort of crystals on the food. But unfortunately, she you can pass that off as salt. Yeah. But I don't know. Do you see your salt on your food? Not really. So it, if you notice sort of – it's weird that I can see that there's a white powder on my spinach. Yep. Yep. A real dish For that instance. was poisoned. Yep. Um, maybe ask some questions. Yep. Just look. 
Just look. Have some trust. Have Surround some tr- yourself with good people. Yeah, maybe go back in time. Don't marry that person <laughs> in the first place. Don't be such a lovesick yes. fella hanging oh. around the house looking yes. for love. Yes. Get out there. Get a hobby. Yes. Do something. Join the Rotary Club. Yes. The Elks Club. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for finally saying that. (laughs) Uh, Well, and do you have any cult uh, people in there? No cult people. You covered that on your podcast, though. What's the podcast called? My podcast is called Criminal Broads. And yes, I cover all sorts of criminal women on the pod. So I have covered my. Two episodes from now, I'm going to cover a cult leader, female cult leader. And the only other culty woman I've covered was episode four was on this woman, Jazz Muheen, who um, is still around. And she denies that she's a cult leader. Um, but she used to preach this philosophy called um, breatharianism. So it's like being vegan. <laughs> except you don't need anything. Right, surviving on air. Yes, right? surviving on air, surviving on prana, the energy yes. in the air. Um, and it's, you know, a cure for world hunger. Um, <laughs> oh, lower, She says lower grocery bills, an amazing sex life, and more energy. Is You can oh. look forward to all of that. Um, unfortunately, at least four people have died following her no. teachings. So Listen, I don't need a sandwich when I'm supposed to. I get real shaky. Yeah. Oh, I, I don't oh. think I could do that. No one is more furiously grouchy than me if I don't get breakfast. Yep. And it's a point of contention in my marriage because my <laughs> husband does not need breakfast. And How can that be? I don't know. He's like a wow. python. He just eats once and then, you know, is fine for a long time. And It's like that Naked and Afraid show where they're in the jungle. Yeah. I'd be a mess. Oh, my gosh. I mean, for a lot of reasons, I'd be a mess, but just the not eating. The, what leaves wouldn't I be consuming? I'd poison myself. <laughs> well, um, this, this obviously, it still happens. Serial killers yes. are still out there. Do you think that uh, men have sort of overrun the space? Do you think there's still room for women to mm. uh, assert themselves? There's definitely a glass ceiling, and I have to say it's not one I encourage women to break. <laughs> right. I don't think we need to smash we can, that one. We don't need to smash it. No. Uh, I don't think men have overrun it today more than ever. I mean, throughout history, it's always been you know 90% men yeah. in the serial killing realm. Um, I think that – I mean, we're. it seems to that we are seeing fewer serial killers these days and – Unfortunately, more of the mass shooter type of right, uh, right. big, splashy, horrible criminal. Um, I, I mean, I think there are a lot of reasons for that. I think there's definitely some copycat crimes going on, which is why we just we can't be glorifying mass shooters. You know, we can't be putting them on the covers of things. And um, but and we, and people have done that to serial killers too. And um, but anyway, so uh, I think there are. It seems that there are less serial killers. I'm not in law enforcement, so I can't say for sure. But it, I think that te- we have too much technology now. I mean, DNA, it's just harder yeah. to be a serial killer. People don't hitchhike anymore. Um, we have the science to know if someone has been poisoned by arsenic. I mean, back in the day, people would be like, typhus? Typhoid? Scarlet fever? You know, it, they just didn't know. Right, and you had infant mortalities. Uh, oh, my gosh, it, uh, absolutely. Rates were so high. Yeah. It, oh, I don't know why that kid died. I don't died. know why, yeah. yeah. So, so and I, I don't think you glamorize it within this within the book oh, either. I, I mean, certainly you, you talk about things that, as you said, we're far enough in the past, um, and, I mean, arsenic is not, you know, something that people are really using a lot. No, <laughs> no. It can't be detected, and if a kid gets a... Off by his mother, chances are you find out about it. Yeah, you're not gonna. We're not gonna be able to have the you know someone kills ten family members with arsenic anymore. I mean, knock on wood. Right. We certainly hope not. We don't. The there's the medicine is just too science and medicine are just too advanced now, which is great. So yeah. And besides, (laughs) the environment's gonna kill us anyway. Right. The serial killer (laughs) is. Don't worry about it. We are the serial killer to ourselves. We've done it. (laughs) We've done it. Um, But. well, what do you think is the secret to a good long relationship? Mm, a good long non non murderous relationship. <laughs> well, I mean, it's cliche, but trust, communication. Yep. Are you trying to kill me, wife? <laughs> you know, a maybe good question to just start off with. Start off, or on your anniversary, <laughs> right. right? Honeymoon. Honeymoon. Not, yes. not a bad way. Prenup, pre-marriage yeah. counseling. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> All those things, uh, yeah. I, I just I don't think I want to go out uh, with something that I eat. No. I mean I don't mind having a nice meal, mm. 
but I, I, you that's, don't not, want... that's not how, how I want to go. Right. And is it even a nice meal if there's arsenic right. in it? <laughs> the gritty. See, I'm worried the aftertaste is not, that's not the key. I want to notice it beforehand. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. That's a problem. Um, I know if you smell bitter almonds, that's cyanide, right? So that's one thing. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> Especially if she, if if this hypothetical wife is doing something with almond, saying that it's almond essential yeah, oils. Yeah, yeah. Is it? Yeah. Marzipan, is it? Marzipan. Oh, the deadly. marzipan pigs yeah. around. Really? Yeah. Mm. Anyway, these are all great notes. Should it ever come up. I hope they're helpful. <laughs> but, uh, uh, Troy, thank you. This has been really wonderful. Oh, I hope that you. you have a great Valentine's Day um, and that everyone is kind to uh, one another. <laughs> thank you. There. Yes. Um, the book Lady Killers is available everywhere, and people should go and pick it up and uh, read it with a loved one and make sure that they're not Discuss making it. some shifty moves as you read it together. Yes. And the podcast Criminal Broads, I suppose, up on Apple Podcasts, anywhere you get podcasts. Yes, exactly. That's great. Uh, uh, Tori Telfer, thank you uh, for being here. Thank you so much. This is a pleasure. Well, there you have it. And I wish I could give you a consensual, warm, open-mouth kiss. I do. I wish you all a very happy Valentine's week. My thanks to Tori for joining me in the deep night. Buy her book. Listen to her podcast. Enjoy one another, for our time here is brief. Lucky numbers this week are 3, 14, and 8. The number of giant stuffed bears I intend to buy for Galinda. The maximum number of hugs I can give in a day. And the number of zippers I like on lingerie. Personalized reading goes out to Linus Humphrey of Sulphur Sound, Oregon. This is so cliche, but money does not make people happy. And that will do it for us. Remember that although this night is ending, a bright new day is just ahead. Deep Night with Dale is produced by James Bewley. Season 11 podcast icon designed by Candace Broers. My Deep Night theme by Zach Gabbard. Music heard throughout the show is provided by the talented roster at Howler Hills Farm in Ohio. Plus some other stuff at the top that Dale just finds online and downloads to a secret folder. Poster artwork this season provided by Ronalhorn Industries, Maria Wen, and Scott Balmer, among others. Live shows every other month at The Slipper Room. Studio services provided by Harvestworks in New York City. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts. You can also listen to the show on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, and catch some of the episodes on YouTube. Now, it's time to close up the portal and leave you with Gaia's blessings. Good night.